Social conservative activists are starting to think it's time to get behind a presidential candidate. Did they get any closer this weekend? We'll have an extensive report on the Values Voter Summit in Washington, D.C. And how do you get inside the brain of your teenager? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. Because I have... Uh find myself too often failing to reach the ideals of my religious and moral beliefs, I don't easily uh, publicly proclaim myself as the best example of faith. That's Rudy Giuliani. Of course, he's running for president on the Republican ticket. He's the front runner in national polls, and he was speaking in that comment to the Values Voters Summit in Washington, D.C. this weekend. I had the opportunity to be in D.C. at the summit. I heard Rudy. I wish you'd all been there with me. I wish I could have taken you with me in my suitcase because uh, it was such a great experience to get a feel for all the candidates personally. You could hear them speak. They each had about 20 minutes. And Rudy Giuliani's speech was great, I thought, because he really didn't try to be something he wasn't. He acknowledged that there were disagreements on issues like abortion, but then he proceeded to talk about the things that values voters and he could agree on. I think he reached out to the values voters. And if he does end up in the White House, I think he was telling them that uh, they would have a place at the table, and that was a signal that I was, think that he was trying to send there. We're going to take you through my time at the Values Voter Summit uh, today on the program. I just want to give you a feel for what it was like and what the candidates were saying uh, as I was there. I took my flash mic and tried to get a few interviews. I uh, got some presidential candidates, not as many as I would have liked because some of them just weren't making themselves available. But since we're talking about issues important to the family, we're also going to talk with Lisa Rice about teenagers. Now, she and uh, Shawnee Felden have written a book called For Parents Only Getting Inside the Head of Your Kid. Wouldn't you like to do that? What makes teens and uh, preteens tick? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Also, we've got to acknowledge 
the horrible fires that are out in seven counties in California. And I just got a call five minutes ago from my son, who is in school at the Master's College out in Santa Clarita, California, which is in L.A. County. He also uh, works in an office that has a great big window, and he was sitting in the office looking out over uh, a ridge near Magic Mountain. He could see the flames, and uh, he said 20 fire trucks this afternoon have gone past their office, and uh, the the, uh, firefighters are out there. They're trying to avoid having to evacuate some of the many homes that are in that area, and uh, this is just one of the seven counties in California. So that is a matter for prayer for the whole nation. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's also something happening right here in uh, Dallas, Texas. Actually, uh, Richardson, uh, Texas is where this uh, this particular case was originated. But a judge declared a mistrial in Dallas for five of the six former leaders of a Muslim charity charged with financing Middle Eastern terrorists. Now, this came after a, quite a confusing scene in the courtroom when the verdicts were read. Now, here's AP correspondent David Koenig. The verdict appeared to acquit one defendant entirely and two other defendants on most of the charges and reached no decision against two other men and the Holy Land Foundation itself. This really has to do with uh, raising funds and funneling them to the terrorist organization Hamas. Now, David Koenig reports that chaos broke out in the court when three jurors disputed the verdict that had been announced. When the judge polled the jurors one by one, three of them indicated that those were not their verdicts. So they had to take a break while the jury sorted it all out. Of course, uh, the, uh, basically, there were 19 days of deliberation, and uh, really the jury's deadlocked on most of the charges. Probably a retrial, and these leaders of the Holy Land Foundation for Relief and Development will be tried again. The federal government shut it down back, if you'll remember, in December of 2001, and FBI agents, Israeli officials testified that the Holy Land Foundation funneled millions of dollars to Hamas, with which it uh, carried out suicide bombings in Israel. And uh, lawyers for the Holy Land Foundation said that they, this group was a legitimate charity. So that's kind of the issues at stake there. And David Koenig, this reporter from AP, says most of the defendants are likely to face another child. One man Trial. was acquitted on 31 of 32 charges against him. And everything else was declared a mistrial, and the government will probably try the case again. So outside the courthouse, jubilant family members and supporters actually were hoisting one of the defendants up in the air, and they were uh, chanting, God is great, Allah Akbar. But uh, the lead prosecutor, James Jack, said that he expected the government to try this case again, so their uh, celebration may have been a little bit premature. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me take you back now to this Values Voters Summit uh, because it was really a lot of fun to be there. I felt like it was a great honor to be able to hear the candidates. Now, the Family Research Council put it on along with several other organizations, including uh, Focus on the Family Action and Gary Bauer's American Values and others. Alliance Defense Fund was one of those. And they invited all the candidates that are running. uh, One of our listeners said, well, they didn't invite Alan Keyes. And I'm not sure why. I think it's because he's not on the ballot of uh, very many states and there's still battles for him to get on the ballot. But Uh, None of the Democrats appeared. All the Republicans appeared. One Democrat, uh, Barack Obama, sent a note. 
the others didn't bother to answer until I guess they saw the news reports, uh, got a lot of coverage all over the media. So they started sending emails in uh, with little messages to the Values Voters Summit, but it was a little bit too little too late, uh, I think, uh, as we look at this. But uh, let's go back to this Values Voters Summit and uh, hear the very first speaker, uh, a, a comment from him. That very first speaker was John McCain. I thought he did a good job. He basically read his speech, except for the parts on uh, his service in uh, Vietnam and on the military. But here's John McCain. I'll match my record of defending conservative principles against any other candidate in this race. He gave a good pro-life message in the speech. Now, I tried to catch him because I had this mic with me, uh, but I didn't have it quite figured out. And I saw him there, but he was surrounded by uh, reporters by the time I got to him. So I didn't get to do an interview with him. But uh, I did get to do some others. And uh, the next one... Uh, was uh, basically I got to do an interview with the man who was still running at the time I did the interview, but later that day he dropped out. I know that was reported on on this program on Friday. That was Sam Brownback, but it was a great speech that he did, and here's my interview. How much of a role do you think the things you talked about today, life, the family, and marriage, are going to play in this election? I think they're going to be core. I think they'll be core in the primary. I think they'll be core in the general election. These are the, the sort of issues that you know, people look at uh, and they, uh, they say, well, that's just kind of a part of the base of the party. It's also kind of your primary divisions between the parties uh, are these issues. And, it's, and they're gut check issues for people. It's do I really believe this or do I really believe that? So I, I think they will pray, play a primary role. You will have other issues. The war will be a central issue, the fight with militant is, uh, Islamists. Uh, health care uh, certainly shaping up energy, uh, but this will be kind of like your foundational pieces of the division between the parties. What happens if the party's crazy enough to try to take those issues out and remove them, and you have two candidates at the top of two tickets that don't uh, that are really on the same side of marriage and abortion? I think we lose. I, you know, then uh, it, it's, and people don't understand this, but it's the social issues that have brought a lot of people into our party, into the base of the party, that would be more comfortable, frankly, being Democrats or um, uh, and have traditionally been Democrats. But now their conscience doesn't let them vote Democrat because on the base issues, life, marriage, they're just, I, I can't do it. Uh, and that's what has always been mis misrepresented. Uh, it's been that this drives people away when that's what's made us a majority coalition party. You have to have the economic growth piece of it, fiscal conservatism and strong military. But this is the piece that's made us a majority coalition party. And Fred Thompson came out with his wife and his little girl, and then they went off the stage. He talked about his 100% pro-life record, and he also told attendees what his first act as president would be. I know what I would do the first hour that I was president, uh, I would go into the Oval Office and close the door and pray for the wisdom to know what was right. I had the opportunity to interview uh, Ron Paul. Now, Ron Paul has run before for president, and uh, he's run on the libertarian ticket. So I asked him, what about this whole idea of a third party? A lot of folks are looking at this whole third party idea, and I know it's just being floated right now. Uh, but what do you think of it? What do you make of it all? 
Well, I've had a little experience in that, and uh, the system is very biased against alternative parties. Uh, we do not have a very democratic system in this country because if you're not in the two major parties, you can't get in debates. It's hard to get on ballots. It costs a lot. You're totally ignored. So alternative viewpoints aren't recognized here. Many other countries are more democratic than ours in that regard. So unless you're Ross Perot and you have a billion dollars, it's going to be tough. So I would be pessimistic about what would happen in a third party. Representative Paula, you are a physician, and of course the health care will be a big debate. Hillary Clinton has already made it so, and the Democrats have. What would be your plan? My plan is to get the corporations out of it. They're the ones who are making all the money, and the drug companies run it. I want the corporations out of it. I want it to be returned to the patient. I want to repeal the laws that have mandated uh, some of these uh, corporate uh, entities that uh, you know deliver medical care. Individuals should get their tax credits. The patients should have control of all their spending. They should be encouraged to have insurance, not all this prepaid planned medical care that we have. It's a disaster, and unfortunately right now the momentum is toward uh, a government health care because corporate health care hasn't worked. Now, one more question. Senator Brownback's probably going to be announcing this afternoon that he's dropping out. Are you in this for the long haul? Yes. Gary Bauer has said that you're wonderful in many ways but wrong-headed about the war. What's your response to that? Well, he he's with 30% of the people and I'm with 70%. And uh, I'm with the Constitution. It's an undeclared war. We weren't attacked. It's, uh, it, it doesn't fit the Christian just war theory at all. I mean, uh, uh, we never did any negotiating, and, and it doesn't fit that requirement. So I say he would be going against the grain of uh, the Christian just war theory as well as our Constitution. And the practical aspect of it is it's not going well. And so I would say that I feel more comfortable than he must with being with 72% of the American people today. But even though the 72% might agree with you, probably more in this crowd, this, this conservative crowd, would agree with uh, Mr. Bauer. Does that give you any pause? Well, I mean, I have to be aware of that, but that doesn't mean that they can't listen to reason. And I think they do. And I think I'm, getting, I'm gaining all the time. Compared to three or four months ago, uh, we're doing exceptionally well with crowds like this. That was another reporter uh, with World Magazine, and as you can imagine, all the candidates were surrounded, the ones that made themselves available to the press, and so you had to kind of uh, give uh, your other fellow interviewers an opportunity. So it was a lot of fun to be involved in this. That was Ron Paul. We're going to hear more about the Values Voters debate. We're going to take your calls later in the program about uh, what you're thinking right now at this stage of the game. A lot of uh, conservative Christian leaders think it's time for some of the pro-family folks to land on somebody because the the primaries are going to be starting pretty soon. Well, uh, next up, you know, we blame our teenagers' misbehavior sometimes on peer pressure. Now, our next guest says that's not a big factor in their behavior. We're going to talk about what teenagers think, what drives them. Stay tuned for that interview with Lisa Rice. We'll be right back. November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall Series is back. The Battle for the Truth, Beware the False Prophets, a town hall meeting to focus our gaze back on Christ and the truth of God's Word. But everybody likes to make fun of Christianity. Everybody likes to make fun of Jesus. Truth. 
Special guest panelists include Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Jack Graham, pastor Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Barry Cameron, pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, Grand Prairie, and more. So when they tell you I'm out there, they tell you I'm making an appearance, he said, don't you believe him? The Battle for Truth. Hosted by Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of the Criswell College in Dallas. This is Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College in Dallas. I'll be your moderator for this important live discussion. Wednesday, November 14th, 7 p.m. And live from Crossroads Christian Church. The truth. Fight for it with us. Only here on the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. I'll realign government incentives to encourage marriage, not to penalize it. That's Mitt Romney at the Values Voters Summit, and he was talking about family. He really emphasized ways to strengthen families. We're going to talk about that in this segment. He also said as president, he and the First Lady would use their clout to support traditional families in abstinence. Ann and I are going to use the bully pulpit to teach America's children that before they have babies, they should get married. Uh, makes sense. A little bit of common sense there from Mitt Romney. And we're going to try to make some common sense about teenagers, although sometimes they have us scratching our heads. I've got three of them. My baby's 19, and I'm very wise about this, but, uh, you know, basically they're all grown up, and I have not been able to apply all of that wisdom. I wish I had read this book. It's called For Parents Only, Getting Inside the Head of Your Kid. Uh, One of the co-authors is with us, Lisa Rice. She's associate editor of Christian Living Magazine. She's the mother, foster mom of three teenage girls and one teenage boy, and she's an experienced screenwriter and producer. She's also uh, the co-author with Shanti Feldham, who also co-authored this book, of another book for young women only. And Lisa, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Penna. Lisa, I wish I knew uh, some of the truths in your book and also what I've just learned over raising three teenagers for these past years. But really, it's true that the better we understand our teenagers, the better job we can do raising them. Is that why you wrote this book? That is totally why we wrote it. You know, um, there's an ancient proverb that we ran across, and it said, Happy the generation where the great listen to the small. For it follows that in such a generation, the small will listen to the great. You know, we're just stooping down as parents and saying, okay, we really want to hear you. What are we as parents just not getting? And, of course, this will carry us. The things that we really hear from them and, and the changes we make will, will carry us in good stead way through their adult years. You know, one of the things I learned as a parent uh, is that uh, it's so important to maintain the lines of communication with these kids. I mean, I guess that's probably, you know, also a really good way to get into their heads and understand them. But I think it goes both ways. They need to know that, you know, you're really there to listen to them, don't don't they? That is so true. And, you know, a lot of parents talk to us about this, Penna. They're like, we cannot get anything out of these kids. We're getting monosyllabic answers. How do you communicate with your children? How do you hear them? How do you communicate without them feeling threatened? And that's just, these are the things we're addressing every day. You know, that, that is probably the number one key in this book is, is just how to really listen to your kid with, and make them feel understood. And that is, we have a whole chapter on that, actually. Jim Daly, uh, president of Focus on the Family, says, Someone uh, once said to me, God gives us the most important job in the world called parenting and gives that job to inexperienced people. And 
that's in his endorsement of this book. And I don't quite understand that. Why is that the case? Why don't we get, you know, some kind of a training session? But in, in, in a sense, there's a lot of wisdom in the Word of God for raising our kids, Lisa. Can you talk a little bit about that and how we need to apply that and appropriate it? You're right. That's exactly it. And we love that comment from Jim. You know, we just... We can't have only ancient grandparents writing books on kids because, you know, that's mm-hmm. what someone said. I would never write a book unless my kids were all grown and I had grandkids and I could prove they'd all turned out perfectly. Well, that's not where we're coming from at all. <laughs> you know, we're, we're listening to the kids, but we also are, like you said, applying the wisdom of the Word. There's just so many goodies in there that God has already put for those who will, you know, read it and hear you know, one of the chapters that we have starts with the prodigal son and that story of just the unconditional love that that father showed that little scalawag who came home after doing all the rotten things he did. And just that whole bit about how kids need to know that our arms are going to be open no matter what they've done. Lisa Rice is with me. She's co-author of For Parents Only, Getting Inside the Head of Your Kid. If you'd like to talk to her, if you have a question about teenagers, give us a call, 800-881-9270. Maybe a real tough problem with your teen that you might want to uh, ask her about. You debunk some myths about teenagers, Lisa, in the book, and I think it's very interesting to see that, um, you know, we all look at peer pressure and you know, we worry about that with our teenagers, and we think uh, that's the main reason for their rebellion. But I notice in your book you don't think so, do you? No, actually, you know, a ton of studies have been done to ask, you know, what the biggest influence on children is. You know, we're, we ask, is it parents or is it peers? And what we found in our study is that it's actually neither. We found that freedom is the biggest influence on a child, especially in those teen years. And as a matter of fact, we start the chapter with, your kids are addicted, they really are. And we're talking about the, you know, intoxicating nature of freedom and how it's like cocaine to a child. Well, you know, I notice uh, two-year-olds, you know, they call it the terrible twos, but that's because that's when they start pulling away from their parents, and it doesn't stop. It just keeps on going, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. We actually have a whole chapter on that, on how... You know, kids have to develop their own identity. And usually the big time that we see it is when a kid is about 12 or so, we see things really changing. You know, when they're 2 through 11, your little girl wants to dress just like you and be just like you and walk like you. But it seems like overnight, suddenly, they're like, Mom, could you drop me off three blocks from the school, please? Mm -hmm. Mom, where did you get those pants? You know, everything's embarrassing, and they don't want to be like you. Well, what we found is that, you know, healthy teenagers absolutely have to develop their own identity. But for a time, that, that identity quest looks like rejection of us because they're looking at every building block that we've made our castles out of and they're examining it and saying, is this part of who I am? But the good news is that kids all said, even though we're going to question and even though we're going to pull away, we desperately want to know what you believe, and we want a strong sense of family heritage and values uh, to which we can return. The call-in number is 800-881-9270. Lisa, you interviewed, you did really extensive interviews for this book. Tell us about these kids. We had so much fun. We, we actually held focus groups of, of kids ages 14 to 20. We had about nine focus groups. And we just fed these kids a bunch of pizza and Dr. Pepper and and just pulled every question we could, every answer we could out of them. 
And as we went along, one after another, we started seeing patterns of things they were saying. Then we took that data and we did a big, expensive, professional, national, scientific survey of 420 kids throughout the nation, kind of like a Gallup poll, very, very um, spread out on, you know, age and and race and, and gender and part of the country. And the results we got back in, you know, were the basis for, for this book. Lisa Rice is with me. Lisa, I've got another uh, big question because I think a lot of parents make this mistake with their kids. Rather than staying in the authority position, uh, not that you are the king or the queen or the tyrant, but they, they kind of try to come down to the level of their teenager to be, you know, on an equal level, to be their friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is that a good idea? Is that what the, these teenagers that you talk to want? You know, believe it or not, Penna, it's not what they want at all. We, as parents, so much want to be liked and we want to be their best friend and we want to make sure we don't do anything that's going to put them in the counselor's chair in a few years. So we kind of let things slide. That's the biggest problem we're seeing in America. We actually do need to get back into that director's chair in our home and and be the parent. You know, we ask the kids, if you had a choice, would you want the kind of parent that sort of lets you get away with not doing your homework, doesn't really check up on your friends, kind of lets you go to bed whenever you want. And they didn't want that. They didn't want that. 77% of the kids said, no, give me the real parent who's on my case a little bit, because I know I need that. Mm, Interesting. Stan is in Arlington, Texas. Stan, you're on with Lisa Rice. Yes, thanks so much for taking my call. I really the program. Thank you. Um, I work with uh, youth at at the church that I attend, and... Could you could you talk about some of the assumptions sometimes that adults make uh, regarding youth behavior? You know, particularly you know youth youth in church, and you know, are those assumptions invalid? And if so, what do we do to not make those assumptions? Because like, can you just give one example so she can answer? Well, um, for example, I think we assume sometimes and especially kids that have been raised in the church, you know, we still assume that, you know, they're going to have sex before they're married, you know. Uh, okay, I'll, we'll just answer that one. Lisa, do, should we assume that? We assume that they are not going to have sex before they get married? Is I think he's you? saying we assume they will. Is that correct, that we assume they will? Stand? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it just depends on the parent, I think. You know, sometimes it goes the other way. Sometimes parents turn a totally blind eye because they say, oh, they're in the youth group. Everything must be going perfectly. And, you know, these kids are, are you know, having a real double life. Um, you know, it just totally depends on the child. Um, you know, kids in our focus groups actually talked a little bit about this. Some of them said, you know, my parents assume I'm doing these, these terrible things and I've, I've not been raised that way. You know, I, I'm living my, a moral life, and I want to wait for sex till I get married. But it's like every time my mom looks at me, it's with such suspicious eyes, and she, you know, nitpicks over my clothes, and she just thinks I'm this whore. She really doesn't know me. And then other kids in the focus group, you know, it, it was opposite. So honestly, Stan, we found that it was all over the board on, on parent assumptions. It's just the bottom line, you've got to know your kid. And if you sense that there's, they're very trustworthy and they're hanging around great kids, lighten up a little, you know. And if you really have some suspicions and if maybe the Holy Spirit's giving you some nudges, you might want to get, you know, really a lot more involved. 
Lisa's going to stay with me for uh, a few more minutes. And Lisa, I think that's such an important point because uh, we shouldn't. I think there are in some churches certain demographics, for instance, where there's just an assumption the kids are going to misbehave, and I think that drives uh, this condom-based sex education that uh, exists in many schools. But on the other hand, we need not be complacent. Because uh, even if they're raised in the church, there could be some issues, and that's why it's important to stay involved. We will uh, have more with Lisa Rice. We'll also get back to the Values Values Voters Summit, and we'll take your calls on uh, who you are kind of thinking about right now with regard to the presidential primaries. All of that right after this. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my guest is Lisa Rice, and she is the author of For Parents Only Getting Inside the Head of Your Kid. Uh, sometimes it's common sense, sometimes it's totally contrary to common sense. And I wanted to get back to one of our callers. She is Dawn in Kaufman. Hi, Dawn. Thanks for calling. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to make the comment that if you're, if you really want to be able to communicate with child with your children as teenagers, that must start back when they're two and three and four years old. You know, you have to be able to communicate the way they communicate. I had one that you had to really pull information out of, and the other one freely gave it. But you have to know your children back when they're little, and then once they're teens. It's so much easier to carry on a conversation with them or to find out what they're really thinking and feeling. Lisa? Oh, Dawn, that's so true. Wow, that's a really good point. You know, we run into so many people that say, well, you know, I'm just going to have this full-time career and I'm going to work while they're little here and then later on I'll have all this time and money and we can go and do it. Well, you know, it's too late by then. If you haven't established trust in those early years, you're really going to have a tough road pulling stuff out of them later. You know, we have so many parents who say, how can I do this? I get, you know, these little monosyllabic answers from my kids. And we tell the parents, you know, take them on little dates, even starting at those young ages. Let's go to Sonic. Let's go to Starbucks. And just give them that time to download and uh, affirm what they're feeling. You know, there's a chapter here that says, I will be here for you, and talks about helping them to feel secure. And, of course, we aren't going to pass judgment now on working or stay-at-home mothers. But uh, I know that with some of my kids, my older ones, I was more stay-at-home, and then I was working, and it was tiring for me to try to, you know, pull this off and and be there uh, for my, my younger kids. And so, but I I did find that giving up a little bit of work and maybe a little bit of income during those years was really worth it because the more time you can spend with the teenagers, the better. You think that they're, you know, more self-sufficient than they are. They may not need you physically, but they need you emotionally, don't they, Lisa? They really do, Penna. All the kids that we talked to and the survey results from the 400 kids that came in just affirm that over and over again. We may look really independent and we're pulling away and we're, we're giving you attitude and we're dressing like you don't want us to, but we love you and we respect you and we need you and please push past that was the message they were giving. 
So, Lisa, um, really appreciate your being with me today, and uh, I want to recommend the book because, first of all, it's just a really awesome uh, cover and just kind of an easy, readable, small uh, book to hold in your hands and to reference. Uh, the book, again, is For Parents Only, Getting Inside the Head of Your Kid. I recommend it, and I thank you, Lisa, for being with me today. Thanks so much, Penna, for having me. God bless. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's really what this uh, Values Voter Summit was all about. It was about our kids, and that was reiterated over and over again during the weekend that we're really talking about not uh, as much uh, what's going on in our lives, although that's important, but what is this culture going to be like for our children? And this election is important. That's why the summit was held. Of course, there were a lot of speakers, but I'm going to focus on the uh, presidential candidates as we finish the program. Rudy Giuliani uh, really, I think he impressed the audience, even though he didn't get a lot of votes in the Values Voters poll. He told the gathering that uh, he is a man of faith. My belief in God and reliance on his guidance is at the core of who I am. I can assure you of that. And again, he did say that uh, people don't have to totally agree on the issues. He really acknowledged that there were some big differences between him and those in the audience. But he also did a very good job in talking about national security issues and even about how he would make abortion rare and how he would limit it, how he would encourage adoption. And uh, it was really an excellent speech. And I think people resonated and also got the idea that he was reaching out and saying, I will work with the values conservatives if I am president. Uh, uh, He basically said uh, a lot of good things, uh, but as I said, he didn't get those votes. Well, uh, I also had the opportunity to interview someone who we've had here on the program, and that is uh, California Congressman Duncan Hunter. Here's that interview. We interviewed you a few weeks ago, and it was so much fun, and the people in Texas just love you. It was very interesting because a lot of people contacted us and said they really didn't know about you until they heard your positions on our show, and all of a sudden you went to the top of their list of candidates. Well, thanks so much. You really helped us because we won the Texas Straw Poll and uh, won it by two to one. It was really a a wonderful experience. And and if this is playing in Texas, I want to say hello to my Aunt Charlene because we stayed with her during the Straw Poll, and she was wonderful. You know, we're happy that you're running because you articulate so many of the issues that are important to conservatives. And... um, I know in Texas the immigration issue is very important, and you're you're you know right on there. But I want to talk about what everybody is here today for: the values, the the uh, right to life, the sanctity of marriage. How important in your mind are those to whoever's going to be elected? Yeah. Well, for my 26 years in Congress, uh, if you look at my record, I've never changed, and I never will. And I believe in the right to life is uh, so important not only to our country, but to our party. You know, people say, well, the Republican Party can change. This is a party that Lincoln built. This party was built on, on the value of human beings. And if, if we change from our right-to-life position, uh, the party of Lincoln will be no more. And so this is a, extremely important to me. I wrote the Life That Begins at Conception bill. I've written that for a number of years. I've been the, the original author of that. We got about 100 co-sponsors last year. But my position is, in terms of being president of the United States is this. If I'm elected president and, and I have a judicial candidate in front of me who can look at a sonogram of an unborn child and not see a valuable human life, I will not appoint that candidate to the federal bench. Uh, we're not going to have to go through some long, drawn-out discussion. 
because that means that he doesn't have discernment. If you can't see the value of human life in unborn children, then you don't have discernment. That's a little different than just saying I'll, I'll appoint strict yeah. constructionists to the bench. Yeah, I don't believe in code. I think you got to take it, tell it like it is. And besides that, if somebody can't do that, there's no use wasting their time. Okay, what about on the issue of marriage? Because we have a few different approaches here of people who say they want to defend marriage. What would be your way of doing so? Well, I think that we've got to maintain the traditional marriage of a man and a woman because that's the centerpiece of probably the most important institution in our country, which is a family. And, and we, we need to do what it takes. Uh, if, if we are, allow one state to start moving away from traditional marriage and have homosexual marriages, and that, that, those agreements would then be recognized in other states, then we basically will have lost the institution nationally. In that case, we need to have a constitutional amendment. So if the, uh, if, if the threat becomes, uh, becomes such that we have to have a constitutional amendment to protect marriage, then let's do it, because it's, it's more important than the Congress, the House, the Senate, even the presidency. The American family is the core of this country. What drives you to do this? What drives you to run? Because you're really, you're not in the top tier. And, you know, I'm, I, I know you're having fun, but it's also got to be grueling. So what drives you? Well, listen, I've got a good chance of winning. As you know, I won the Texas straw poll by two to one. I won the Arizona straw poll. And I tied McCain and Giuliani at the top at, uh, in the biggest straw poll held east of the Mississippi. That's South Carolina, uh, having been in the state only seven days. So when I talk to people about issues, uh, I get lots of votes. And, and so we've got a chance of catching fire here. Okay, I heard Tony Perkins say that uh, hopefully from this event, two or three candidates would rise to the top. You hope you're one of those, don't you? Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, we're all, we're all hoping we can get out there, uh, uh, find common ground with the American people, and uh, see our message resonate across this country and, and, uh, and move ahead into the, uh, into the general election. And that's my hope, and I think i got a great chance of winning this thing. Okay, that was fun to interview Duncan Hunter. And uh, as I mentioned, well, first of all, Tom Tancredo also gave it just a great speech. He was well-received by the audience. But in the poll that took place, it was the straw poll, uh, he didn't do as well. He was down the line. Maybe people still see him as a uh, second-tier candidate. But I want to explain what happened because there were two polls. Well, there was one poll, and uh, you could either vote online or you could vote there. Uh, The online poll was made available to uh, other people, people who are members of FRC Action or people who wanted to join FRC Action. So, uh, you know, the results of the the whole poll of about 6,000 people were that Mitt Romney got 1,595 votes. Mike Huckabee got 1,565 votes votes. So they were basically even. Then Ron Paul came in third, then Fred Thompson, then you went down the line to uh, Brownback, Hunter, Tancredo, Giuliani, McCain. Now on site, the people that voted on site, and I voted on site, most of the votes on site, most of the votes in here, um, the the on site, or I'm sorry, the people that were there could have voted online, but most of them voted on site is what I'm trying to say. Okay, this was really different results in a sense. You still have the two front runners, Huckabee and Romney, but Huckabee got 488 votes. 51% of all the votes went to Mike Huckabee. 99 votes and 10 or 10% went to Mitt Romney. Then Fred Thompson got 8%. Tancredo got 6 Giuliani got 6%. Hunter was uh, after that, then McCain, Brownback, and Paul. 
Uh, and then the Democrats are after that. So it kind of shows that the people that were there were persuaded more by Huckabee than they were by Romney, or perhaps the Romney campaign was able to get people to vote. I'm not sure exactly how that turned out, but I thought that difference was instructive and that you ought to know about that. Well, let's play a soundbite now. I didn't get to interview Mike Huckabee, uh, but he was interviewed on Fox News Sunday yesterday. This part of our party and our country wants somebody who is a hardworking, consistent conservative with some authenticity about those convictions. So that's Mike Huckabee. Uh, he thinks he won this thing. And uh, we'll take some calls to see what you think. Who are you behind at this point? The number is 800-881-9270. November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall Series is back. The Battle for the Truth, Beware the False Prophets, a town hall meeting to focus our gaze back on Christ and the truth of God's Word. But everybody likes to make fun of Christianity. Everybody likes to make fun of Jesus. Special guest panelists include Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Jack Graham, pastor Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Barry Cameron, pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, Grand Prairie. So when they tell you I'm out there, they tell you I'm making an appearance, he said, don't you believe him? The Battle for Truth. Hosted by Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of the Criswell College in Dallas. This is Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College in Dallas. I'll be your moderator for this important live discussion. Wednesday, November 14th, 7 p.m. And live from Crossroads Christian Church. The Truth. Fight for it with us. Only here on the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Christians all across this country who are absolutely committed to the values that our faith in Jesus Christ brings us to. The defense of the unborn, the sanctity of marriage, the preservation of family, and advancing our freedom. That's our friend Tony Perkins. Of course, he has a program on KCBI, Washington Watch Weekly. It's on every Saturday at noon. And I tell you, if he was running for president, I'd vote for him. He put on a great conference, and uh, they did a really good job bringing pro-family Americans. A lot of pro-family leaders from across the country were there. I think they got a shot in the arm to get back and uh, start working for the candidate of their choice. Well, let's go uh, back to the phones. Let's go to the phones for this segment. Rick is in Dallas. Rick, go ahead. Well, I'm a little interested in Ron Paul, but you don't. I haven't heard that much about him, so I was curious about what you and Dr. Johnson think, but I was also curious about your poll. You said on the online poll he was third, but in the on-site poll he was last. Isn't that amazing? Wondering what you thought, what you might attribute that to since you were there. I attribute it to the fact that Ron Paul's campaign is very Internet savvy. I think they knew before the event took place that there was an uh, availability to poll, and they let their folks know that they could go ahead and join FRC Action and vote in this. Um, They've kind of been known to do that before, so that's why he came in third. And so I think it's a little bit... 
uh, misleading. Ron Paul is great on most of the issues that I care about. I can't speak for Dr. Johnson, but uh, he is uh, very much of an isolationist with regard to national security. He wants, we never should have been in Iraq, he says, and he's really, there's the response to 9-11 is for him is just to basically focus on what's going on in our country. He's not uh, for doing anything with regard to the war on terror, and that's why, uh, you know, a lot of Christians are more concerned about all the other issues and not that, and so they're supporting him, and I think there's a lot of folks out there, even on the left, that are supporting him because of that position. Okay. Okay. I hope that helps. Let's go to Sherm. Uh, He's somewhere on 121. Go ahead, Sherm. Hey, Ben, how are you this evening? Great. I want to chime in on Mike Huckabee. I'm kind of surprised. I'm, I'm kind of to the point of saying, why is everybody just now jumping on the bandwagon? Uh, granted, he's starting to get some attention now. We're starting to have some, some sifting out of the, of the candidates. But I remember last week we were all up in arms here on KCBI because Rick Perry had endorsed Rudy Giuliani. And, and last I checked, we didn't need Governor Perry to tell us who to vote for. No, we don't. And, and we have an outstanding candidate, Mike Huckabee. He stands up for evangelicals across this country. He is our voice right now. And I'm glad to see people finally jumping on the bandwagon. Well, I think I think he's rising. He he is rising, and I think the the poll this week showed it. Well, let's go ahead now. And uh, I I interviewed Janet Folger, and she is with Faith to Action. She's got a radio show, and she's a real Huckabee supporter. So here's that interview. Well, let me tell you this, that the folks that were here on site that actually heard the speeches, Mike Huckabee won with five times the vote of anyone else, which is interesting because that's the same same uh, uh, number that we saw in the Values Voter Presidential Debate. So on the online thing, which again is corrupt by its design, anybody in any campaign and somebody with a well-funded one certainly could send a lot of emails in and, and skew the vote. But for the people that took the time to come here, to be here, Mike Huckabee won five times the vote. Now, when you're talking about this values voters debate, this is something that you organized, and uh, some of the candidates showed up, others didn't, but Mike Huckabee won that one hands down, as you said. And it's very interesting. Uh, When people read about this values voters debate, they'll see that actually Mitt Romney, when you consider all the votes, including online, won by just 30 votes, and then Huckabee came in second, and then moving on down the line. And so um, Rudy Giuliani appeared, and I think he came in dead last, which is not a surprise with these folks. But what we're doing here now is, I think, we're kind of honing this thing down, because the uh, values voters, in a sense, Janet, need to get together on someone, uh, because the primaries are coming up soon. It is, and I don't believe we have much time at all. And we don't have the luxury to sit back and wait and see what happens. Because right now, this election, unlike any in our lifetime, shows that right now everything is up for grabs. Not just the fact that we'll get the last judge on the Supreme Court we've been working for for 34 years, but we also could lose every advance we have made in 34 years with with every state legislation, from parental notice, parental consent, partial birth abortion ban. You hear a lot about the the 11-year-olds getting contraception. Here's what happens. If if Hillary Clinton is in the White House, 11-year-olds are going to be getting partial birth abortions and we're going to, without parental notice, and we're going to be paying for them with our tax dollars. That's the kind of world we're looking at. Right now, winning everything or literally losing it all. That's what's up at stake. Too much at stake to sit back and say, oh, I'm not sure. Let's throw up our hands. Let the pundits decide. See what happens in the polls. This is our moment. And if we do not lead in this moment, if we don't take the chance we've been given, we will forever wish we had. 
Uh, what should people do who care about this? Because your vote counts, yes, and you should vote in the primary, but what else? Well, I think uh, what we did is what we saw in, in the values voter presidential debate. People fasted for 40 days. And, and I'll tell you what, you want to move mountains? That's how God says it's done. So you can understand that, that I'm a real strong believer in prayer and fasting. Fasting from something. People were giving up their PDAs. Kids were calling in the radio program. I'm giving up comic books, desserts, uh, anything that takes your time away. And can I tell you something? After 40 days, I, one of the things I gave up was entertainment television. I went back to look at it, and it was even more vile than the last time. I, it was, it was, I, I'm now giving that up. I, I may give it up until the election in November because right now, every, I mean, I'll just tell you, millions of lives and everything, every advance we've made, it's all in the balance. This one's for all the marbles. And, it, and, and if we don't take it seriously, if we don't take this chance and do everything we can, again, we're going to have a life of regret. Because not only we're going to have a life of regret, we're going to have a lot of time to think about it while we sit in jail as Hillary Clinton criminalizes Christianity. And all of us, I, I, I love Chuck. Colson, but I really, I'm not called to a prison ministry, and I'd, I'd rather not go there. That's right. Your book is uh, The Criminalization of Christianity. People can get in touch with you and find out more about your group at faith2action.org. Sure, and uh, they can actually take the shortcut, F2, the number 2, A as in action.org, F2A.org. And you can also link to the Values Voter Presidential Debate. Look at it. And, and let's just talk for one second. As Again, speaking as an individual, the crossover vote. People say, we got to get the Reagan Democrats. We've got to get the African Americans. Do you know that in his gubernatorial race, Mike Huckabee, won 48% of the African-American vote. She also mentioned uh, that Huckabee has gotten some union endorsements. Well, that was Janet Folger. And uh, just to explain one thing she was talking about, she had a values voters presidential debate a few weeks ago down in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, Huckabee won that too. But all the candidates didn't show up there like they did this time. Well, I have to mention there was no audio, of course, from Democrats. That's because no Democratic uh, candidates showed up at the uh, Values Voters Summit. Uh, I wish I had a little more time to take you through this, but I hope that you at least have an idea of what the summit was like and uh, how it was for all these Christian conservatives to get together and try to figure out who they're behind. And, you know, the question is, should Christians be voting for pastor-in-chief? I think the answer to that is no. We want, do we want a Christian in the White House? Well, of course we would like that. Uh, but I think more than that, we want people as close to our positions as possible on the issues that are important to us. That is really what uh, politics is all about. Join us tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.